Your source for community, Muskoka-made talk shows are on Muskoka Magazine, The Bay 88.7. Hey, this is Dr. Shervin. Muskoka Magazine is brought to you by Dairy Lane Dental, keeping Muskoka smiling for over 30 years. Please visit DairyLaneDental.com. This is Muskoka Drawdown. Welcome to Muskoka Drawdown. I'm your host, Frank DeYoung. I'm here on behalf of Climate Action Muskoka. We are in a climate emergency, and to prevent yet more climate chaos, we need to decarbonize the economy. Visit the CAM website, sign up for the free weekly newsletter so you can stay informed and up to date on climate change issues locally, nationally, and internationally, and what you can do about it. My guest today is Paul Geip. Now, I know Paul's name almost better than I know my own name because he was um, part of the furniture in Ontario as a wind advocate for, for, many, many, for many, many years. So, Paul, welcome to our show. Oh, thanks for having me, Frank. It's good, it's good to talk to Canadians again. <laughs> yes, uh, that mean, that's, uh, leads me to say Paul is based in California right now, but are you originally from Ontario or... No, no, no. I'm I'm an American. I was raised in the Midwest, so not too far from you, and in the state of Indiana. Oh, wow, cool. Um, but anyway, you have a long history in Ontario, do you not? I mean, you've spent a lot of time here developing our our um, feed-in tariff program, etc. Yes, it was a uh, was a great success, and uh, I thank uh, you, thank all Canadians, and uh, thank Ontarians, and and I thank the Liberal Party um, for the opportunity to to do what we did in in Ontario, and I, it was a world-leading program at the time. I, I became an environmentalist, I guess, in the late 80s, and uh, we were hoping to finally get a wind turbine in Ontario, and hoping and hoping, and never happened. And then one day, I read in the paper that there was six of them up at the Bruce Nuclear Station. So I drove up to the Bruce Nuclear Station to see my first turbine ever, and so that was a revelation. And then, of course, uh, the um, the wind share put one up at the CNE, which is was massive visibility. I just Googled in, inter- in Canada. No, Ontario has something like 2,600 uh, wind turbines, and these are big ones, I'm assuming. Oh, yes, yes. Yeah. They're what we'd call large wind turbines. Well, they were large for the day when those were put in. Uh, you're, you're not putting in enough right now. Is that right? Yeah, well, I know we. Uh, that's another. That's certainly a political issue that drives a lot of us uh, sort of uh, crazy. Actually, um, how does Ontario stack up in jurisdictions around the the continent, for instance? Well, at, at one time, as I said, Ontario was was a, a leading jurisdiction uh, in North America. I mean, it was leading. It was the programs that we had in Ontario were far more uh, significant than what we had in California. Yeah, uh, course, you, you designed you designed the feed-in tariff program. In I'm somewhat biased about uh, about the program, yes. Uh, <laughs> but I did des- I designed it to be effective, and and it was it was it was effective. And we got a lot of solar, a lot of wind in the ground, uh, which was the purpose. Um, another purpose was to to get as much wind and solar in the hands of the people as possible. And in that, we weren't quite as successful as it hoped would be. Uh, a lot of the solar was and is used on farms and small communities uh, throughout Ontario and on people's roofs in the cities as well. I mean, even yeah. last time last time I was in Toronto, I walked down the street and I say, 
Oh wow, solar panels. Well, that was because the program that we that we and 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 the all the other supporters in in Ontario made possible. Yeah, I have a solar panels on uh, my ex's house in Toronto. Does that count? <laughs> <laughs> it all counts. It all counts. It all counts. Um, did Ontario um, sort of blow it in? We didn't do it the way Germany and Denmark. They it was community based there with a you know a church or a, a town would set up turbines. We set it up sort of on individual farms and, and pitted people against each other and communities against each other. Was that an error uh, uh, that Ontario um, committed? Well, what I is- wouldn't I wouldn't blame it on Ontario. Um, uh, as a fault of Ontario or as Canadians or uh, or of the program that we designed, we tried to make the program open to everyone and that include corporate interests um, and, and corporations uh, can act much quicker than than community groups. And what happened in, and we tried to model it after Germany. The program that we had in Ontario was modeled after what they did in Germany. Yeah. Um, that, that, that was the, the, the pattern. Well, my thinking was like, okay, if you're a farmer and you have a turbine, your neighbor sometimes his house is just as close as your house, yet they get all the money and you get nothing. Shouldn't we have spread the money among the neighbors as well? Absolutely. Absolutely. That's happen. one of the keys to success. And that's why we tried to create a program that was flexible enough that you could do that. Um, and but the, the reality is that Ontario, whether you like it or not, is connected to North America. And there's this big country to the south that determines a lot of public policy in North America, though you're Canada, uh, you have your own queen, um, but you're influenced by the political climate in the United States. And there's a lot of things about the Canadian economy that's influenced by the American political system, the American pol- econo- economy. Yeah. And as a consequence, uh, we tried to replicate the German program here, but we didn't have the German social network uh, and we didn't have the other German policies that they have have in Europe. And consequently, we got very few community wind farms built in Ontario, uh, most for corporate wind farms. And of course, that created a lot of uh, resentment by by the neighbors, as you said. They're not making money, no, but they can, no. they can see the windmills. My idea was everybody should make money. Exactly. Uh, then you're, you know, well, the Dutch say, you <laughs> yeah. know this, the Dutch exactly. say your own pigs don't stink. <laughs> and, uh, and that's the same with windmills. If you're on a piece of the exactly. windmill, you might say, well, it's not as pretty as I'd like it, but it's I'm paying the money. bills. Um, you're probably was probably very frustrated because none of the uh, turbine, the wind farms on Lake Erie or Lake Ontario went ahead. Was that a, a big disappointment? It's still a frustration. And so I'm still trying to convince uh, the city of Cleveland to beat the Canadians. You know, we have to have some some kind of competition yes. between the two countries uh, to do what's right. <laughs> trying to convince the Cleveland that, yes, the Canadians have dropped the ball. And it's an opportunity for Cleveland, which has talked about putting wind turbines off the coast of the city of Cleveland for practically 22 decades now. And I said, you know, you can still do this. Uh, the Canadians haven't done it. Uh, well, it says they still, you know. It says on your on your uh, website that you were invited to the White House. Now, what in God's name were you doing there? Oh, you know, and, and, and I didn't go. That's the shocking thing. I was in, I was in, and then the reason I didn't go, I was in Montana taking down wind turbines. Taking down. Yes, oh, I mean, dear. I got my start in the wind industry by by uh, 
taking down uh, abandoned wind turbines, junk windmills. I was a junk I was a junk windmill salesman. I, I would buy junk windmills and then resell them to to remanufacturers. Okay. So at the time, I had been an environmental activist, and I had worked for seven years on this strip mining bill, the Strip Mining and Surface Mining Act for coal. And uh, we got the law passed finally, uh, and Jimmy Carter um, had a, a signing ceremony uh, in in the Rose Garden. And I was invited, and I get back to my apartment in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, which had been an easy drive to Washington D.C. And there was this invitation, and I was like, two weeks too late." Oh no, that's a, that's a, I suppose that's a tragedy. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I mean, there there was a thousand other people there too. Oh well, yes, you were. But you were, I, you were would have been my claim to fame is to have been to the White House. <laughs> um, does uh, does wind still require a subsidy? I was, there was something in the Globe and Mail a couple of days ago that the Dutch are putting up uh, wind turbines and no longer uh, requiring subsidies. Um, well, if it's in the Globe and Mail, uh, <laughs> actually in any any publication, you, you need to do your own homework. Okay. I, I find a lot of the, the general uh, reporters who cover the general topics like this don't get it straight. Um, and, and that's that's kind of uh, don't require subsidy. They require public policy. Wind doesn't require a subsidy. Wind requires public okay. policy. Okay, well, then my question is... Public is, policy. In other, but my question should have been, is wind power generate as much electricity as, 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 as well, coal and nuclear per, per dollar or per penny? Yeah, well, wind, wind, is, uh, wind energy, commercial wind energy, like the Dutch were talking about offshore, is yeah. cheaper than coal, is cheaper than gas, is cheaper than nuclear uh, in Europe. Um, but there are all these other factors. I mean, right now, of course, the Germans saying, oh, gosh, I wish we had more windmills. Well, you had the opportunity. You turned your back, just like the Ford government in Ontario turned its yeah. back on a, an industry that they had with jobs. Ontarians working in the industry turned their back on that. And now, of course, you need it because we're in the middle of a climate catastrophe. And yeah. Germany, of course, is in the middle of <laughs> it's going to have a cold winter. And they say, gee, where are all the windmills? Where are all the solar panels? Well, we told you 20 years ago that you, need, that you, can't, you can't stop these programs and then expect this stuff just to happen overnight. It doesn't happen that way. Yeah. Um, a lot of people still think, oh, I just want a little windmill on my roof. Does that make sense? <laughs> I'm the wrong person to talk to about that because I, I, I get livid and I rant and rave. I was just I was just just being interviewed by somebody from uh, Vienna and, and they brought up the windmills on the roof and I just went, you know, ballistic. Uh, no, forget that. No, no. If you want to put something on your roof, Put solar panels, please. They work fine. Uh, you don't occasionally might want. Well, you're, it rains in in Ontario. I remember correctly. It rains, snows, and all that. But you don't. You don't even have to hose them down. No, no, no. In tree, in tree. Out, out here, we get a thick layer of dust, so occasionally we have to hose them down. Paul, you you wrote a book called Wind Energy for the Rest of Us. Give us a quick uh, synopsis. Well, I think the title says it all in that, that, that wind energy is for everybody, not just uh, Florida Power and Light or Ontario Hydro or whatever they call themselves now, yeah. uh, or electricity to France. It, it's it's, it's uh, the people's resource, and we should be able to use it. And the whole book is 500-some pages on how to do just that. Okay, great. Um, we have to take a break now. Uh, when we get back, I, you also seem to be very um, active on promoting uh, EVs. So we'll start off uh, speaking about that after the break. Well, uh, this is Climate Action Muskoka. We'll be back in a few minutes.
By Muskoka for Muskoka, your collection of Muskoka-based talk shows. Muskoka Magazine, The Bay 88.7. I'm Dr. Shervin from Dairy Lane Dental, and you're listening to Muskoka Magazine. This is Muskoka Drawdown. Welcome back, everyone. My name is Frank DeYoung, and I have a very special guest today, and the person of Paul Geip, a man whose whose name I know probably better than my own because he's a, a, a global, indeed, uh, expert on wind power and electric vehicles. We have been, before the break, we talked about uh, wind, but I'd like to segue into EVs, which go hand in hand with, uh, with wind power, obviously. Paul, I'll let you introduce uh, the topic from your angle. Well, first of all, in terms of renewable energy, we pretty much we're there. We 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 have wind and solar, uh, geothermal. This is cost-effective technology, and so for those of us who are pioneers in the technology, it's time for us to move on because really, in the electricity sector, we we can easily be 100% renewable energy in the electricity sector. Um, the very easy for Canada and provinces like Ontario, and Quebec, very easy for you to do that. Uh, and so it's time we really need to, to reduce the uh, uh, global warming gases from the transportation sector. And to do that, you got to go to electric vehicles. And so we've been driving electric for seven years, yes. beginning with a, a Nissan Leaf that had a really small battery. Uh -huh. but we, we learned how to make that work. And today, uh, the cars, they have, have a range of uh, 250 miles, so I forget what that's in kilometers. It's got to be off 350 or 400 yeah, kilometers, yeah. something like that. <laughs> I, I understand. Like everybody knows now, we know neighbors, we know people who drive electric vehicles and they crow about them, especially when gas prices doubled here recently. Um, but what about long haul trucking and industrial equipment and buses and it's, uh, the big equipment that everyone says that'll never happen? Oh, no. Well, the good story is for you in Ontario uh, and, and in Canada is that uh, there is an electric bus manufacturer in Quebec and they're doing a great job. And we're buying some of them here in this part of California. They are buying some of those Lion uh, yes. electric buses here. So so buses. Yeah. And in fact, we have the, the biggest manufacturer, Chinese electric vehicles, has a factory out here on the desert here in California. It's building electric buses for us. So, wow. so Quebec, China, they're all here in California and they're building electric buses. So that's uh, that's happening. Uh, big rigs, uh, transcontinental big rigs. Uh, that's still a ways out, but they're here now. Uh, Freightliner, okay. which is a division of Mercedes, they're, they, they sell an electric uh, Class 8 truck, I think it's called. Maybe it's the same in Canada. Class 8 truck, and that's the big one. Um, they're selling those now, and uh, fleets are buying uh, electric trucks. They're particularly adapted to, to regional and um, uh, delivery vehicles, which is a smaller yeah kind of vehicle, smaller trucks, uh, but we've got manufacturers who are, they're startups and they're building these things. Amazon's got a big investment in Rivian, which is a small truck maker, yeah. and they're making delivery vehicles. Um, and so I don't know how that would work in Canada, but down here, you know, Amazon, you can see Amazon vehicles on the streets of Los Angeles, and now there are these electric vehicles. Yeah. And here in Bakersfield, California, uh, our, some of our UPS trucks are electric. So. It is happening, whether it's happening fast enough or not. Um, I say definitely not happening fast enough, uh, and we need public policy to push it to move okay. as fast as can, possible. Can I, can I ask you to comment on the enfant terrible of Elon Musk? <laughs> <laughs> well, no. I love that. So enfant terrible is a, is a perfect expression. So, yeah, well, if you buy a Tesla, I mean, it's his company. Uh, you just have to grit, uh, grit your teeth and buy it and say, well, I don't care about Elon Musk. I mean, he's crazy uh, and ignore him, but you, the cars are good. 
Uh, but there are other manufacturers. So if you can't stomach right. Elon Musk and but his he, boss, did he not? Did he not? Um, I guess he got all his money from carbon offset money somewhere, and he built he parlayed this into this multi-billion-dollar company. He, did he not just ignore public policy and forge ahead and and really advance the cause? No, no, of, no he did. No, he okay. no he pushed the envelope because. Uh, we had public policy in California uh, to encourage electric vehicles, and it required that a certain percentage of, of the vehicles sold in the state must be electric vehicles. And of course, uh, <laughs> they weren't doing it. The other, the legacy automakers weren't building the cars. So when he uh, began building the vehicles with the first one with the Model S, they had to pay him for the pollution credits. Yeah. Because yeah. they weren't making enough cars. And so he yes. was getting money from the legacy manufacturers to yeah. buy these offsets credits. Uh, and he used that partly to finance uh, the growth of, of Tesla. Now, now they don't need it. They sold two million cars, <laughs> one million cars last year. This year, it's going to be close to two million. Next year, they're expecting to be yeah. over two million vehicles. And the legacy companies, they are okay. really worried. Now, the, everyone is worried about the batteries. I know there is an Ontario company started in Kingston that's doing a lot for recycling car batteries, and it's moving internationally. Uh, can you give us a comment on... Uh... Well, one, one of the things that's a problem with recycling the, the electric vehicle batteries, Yeah, they're lasting too long. <laughs> and this is, this is, I mean, we have companies like Redwood Materials, which was founded by J.B. Straubel, who was the technology manager for... Tesla when they were developing the, the, the early cars. So, I mean, he's he's a serious guy. There's a billion dollars in Redwood Materials, and uh, there's a couple other companies have invested billion dollars in uh, recycling plants in, in Europe. One of the problems is don't have a lot of batteries to work with. So they're, they're going to using other batteries, not yeah. electric vehicle batteries, so they can keep their... <laughs> Get their manufacturing processes up because it's going to be it's going to be a while yet. For example, a Nissan Leaf came out ten years ago. Those cars are still driving around. Okay, fact, what are, the car is going to fall apart first. <laughs> what about the, the the inputs, the cobalt and the chromium? Is it chromium? No, lithium. Uh, cobalt, cobalt, oh. uh, lithium, uh, and nickel. Yeah. And yeah. what the cobalt, I guess, comes from Congo mostly. Is that problematic? Yeah, so, so there's a there's a move. There's efforts. Um, it's not there yet, but there's efforts uh, to to reduce the amount of cobalt in the batteries or eliminate it entirely. Um, there's uh, moves to uh, relocate production uh, in North America. The word is North America. It's not just U.S. That includes Mexico and Canada. And Canada has lots of, I understand, nickel mines. Yes. We do indeed. Oh, and you also have a lot of other resources. So you're going to see a lot of Yankees running around up there uh, looking for nickel and other materials. Yeah. Uh, Doug, lithium, Doug, lithium production, too, now. So yeah. Dougie Ford, Doug Ford was our premier. It was He's excoriated on almost everything, but he, uh, they committed a huge amount of money uh, to subsidize a battery factory in Windsor. Was that wrongheaded or should they have just given us $5,000 each to buy a car or <laughs> buy, to buy to subsidize uh, EVs like Quebec? No, I, I think, no, I think, I think Ontario and I think Canada wants to be in a production game and you have uh, Stellantis, which was Chrysler. You have those plants in Windsor. Uh, you've got the Toyota plants and uh, the Ford and the, I think the GM plant closed, but you still have the Ford plant. Those need to be converted to to electric vehicle manufacturing plants. Uh, in terms, yes, I think he made a. I hate to say it, but I think he made a good choice there. 
<laughs> you have to you have to give him credit. credit is due. Sometimes, yeah, you know, have to, whatever. All, all the terrible things he's done, he's made some right decision. So there you go. Where, uh, uh, what's the good, timing? Good for, it's good for Windsor. I mean, oh. the people there need jobs and mm. we need batteries. And why can't Canadians do it? It appears that the, the, the tipping point for electric vehicles is coming soon where it'll become just obvious that it's time to ditch your your ice vehicle and go go ev um and in fact the resale value of ice vehicles is going to start dropping when people start uh, the take up on evs is, is uh, becomes pretty much a, a fait accompli is that coming soon or is it already here in some jurisdictions well bloomberg says that we've reached a tipping point so, I mean, if you whether you, you believe Bloomberg or not, uh, it's it's one of those uh, business um, analyst companies, um, and they say we have reached a tipping point. Typically, the, in technology, and you know, car is a big technology. This is like a fancy fancy Apple Watch. It's just a very big thing, you know. Uh, it, it, it's a computer on wheels and it has a battery that powers a computer. That's kind of what the car is, and. Um, and the, the, typically for technology like this, they say when you reach 5% of the market, that's when the growth of yeah. rockets, that's yeah. when it takes off. And electric vehicle uh, worldwide have reached 5% of the market. Not in the United States, but, and probably not in Canada. I haven't checked no. recently. Um, places, places like China and Germany, Sweden, Norway, I mean, you just run through all the countries. I mean, yeah, yeah. I, I still have a problem with this. I've, I was active trying to get rid of cars altogether. We should have walkable communities linked by transit. And every time I think about uh, people buying electric cars, I still say yes, but um, <laughs> am I just pie in the sky? I know it seems apparently hopeless that we'll ever have be able to rebuild the entire built environment into to walkable communities, European style walkable communities. We all fly to Europe to walk around and then we come home and we go, oh my God, it's so ugly. I'm embarrassed for Europeans coming to North America. Well, they've been warned. They, do, <laughs> they, 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 they know, uh, when they, particularly when they come to the United States, you know, yeah, bring, bring your bulletproof vest, for example. But no, you are not, you're not wrong. No, absolutely. Um, when I talk about uh, electric vehicles, uh, I like to emphasize it's not a panacea. Uh, I, it, I'm working within the system that we have in North America. We we have to reduce transportation, uh, the greenhouse gases from transportation and all the other pollutants from transportation. And then we can also use these cars as mobile battery storage for That's for crazy. renewable energy as well. So, but if you need a loaf of bread and it's walkable, you walk to get your loaf of bread. You don't drive your $50,000 Tesla to do it. Now I'm in California. That's what we do in California. Yeah, you can't walk anywhere. <laughs> well, you can walk, but you might get mowed down by somebody. Um, so, so you're no, absolutely right. Um, you in Canada, particularly in Eastern Canada, Ontario and elsewhere, you still have walkable communities and you need, you need to preserve that. I mean, we yeah. lived in Toronto for a number of years and we just, Fabulous. We, just I know. we didn't have a car. I mean, no, no, I know myself included. Um, I, every people say that China is going uh, gangbusters in renewables. I guess they're going gangbusters in everything, but are they going to save the world for us in the green tech department? Well, if we don't nuke each other in the meantime, <laughs> yes. Uh, Are we uh, depending on China to save us And is another way of putting it? Actually, that's a very powerful question, and I, I don't don't have a flippant answer for that. <laughs> Come on. Uh, I, I like to point to China to, to embarrass Canadians and embarrass yeah. Americans in public policy and say, look, China, 
once a third world country. Yeah. They're running rings around us in public transportation, rings around us in high speed rail, 10,000 kilometers of high speed rail, and they're building thousands of kilometers per year. And what do we have in North America? Nothing. Nothing. <laughs> well, okay, a cell in a Washington, Boston quarter, but you don't have anything in Canada. No, no, that. no. I recently took the via rail out to go on a canoe trip in Northern Ontario, and it has to wait for the freight trains to go by. So you're <laughs> sitting on a siding for 20 minutes, staring at the at the scenery, which is actually quite beautiful up there. Paul, I'm afraid we are officially out of time. This has been a total delight. I really appreciate it. Uh, thank you so much for coming on the show and giving giving us your uh, your your wit and your wisdom. All right. Well, thanks a lot. It was great, Frank. Take care. Okay. Uh, see you next week, everyone. This is Climate Change Muskoka. Frank Young signing off. I went to the city when all the trees were gone and I laid there on an asphalt lawn. Blood. Fur coats and sushi boats and diesel in the air.